Hi, We're Going There family. My name is Bianca Waters-Oltoff, host of We're Going There. Listen, friends, I know that season two ended last week, but I just can't get enough of you. This is what happens when I love you. I just want to be all up in your business and keep the conversation going. Today, we're joined by New York Times bestselling author, preacher, teacher, author, stepmother, and pastor extraordinaire, Sarah Jakes Roberts. Now, before we dive into the interview, these bonus episodes are going to be a little bit different. They're going to be interview-based only, but I'm so excited for you to fall in love with these guests as much as I love them. As always, it means so much, not just to me, but to the guests on the show. When you tag them and let them know where you're listening to the podcast, what you've learned in the podcast, or what you're walking away with. Will you do me a favor and tag at Sarah Jakes Roberts and at Bianca Oltoff to share with us what you're learning? Guess what? Five lucky winners will win Sarah's new book, Woman Evolved, the New York Times bestselling book, an Amazon top 10 seller. This book is so good. I can't wait to dive into the podcast. I hope you enjoy. Sarah Jakes Roberts. Hey, girl. I'm so excited that you are on the show. Okay, listen. I'm excited to be here. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, okay. So uh, before before we even get started, I tried getting you on the podcast for season one, and I told I told shout out to Madi the producer. I said, "What do we need to do to get SJR on the show?" <laughs> and here's the thing: you are a mom of six. You are a pastor. You are a writer. You're a teacher. So I was not fussed, but I said, "I said, oh, just watch my God." I'm going to get her on the show. And he done did it because on season two (laughs) bonus episode that is in perfect timing and correlation to a book release for you. I just want to say thank you for being on the show. And I know Um, people are going to love you as much as I do. So thank you. I'm honored to be on this show. I'm glad we were able to make it work. And for those that are not going to see the video, I just need to do a little HTT head to toe for SJR because, I mean, the highlighter is popping. Glory (laughs) to God, the hair, everything, everything. It's a good look. Hey, before we dive into the meal that you served up in Woman Evolve, I I know you like to cook. I am a big fan of cooking myself. I just want to show you all the little dog tag marks that I have in this book. I love and, it. But here's the thing that people might not understand. For somebody who loves to cook, you served up a meal in this book and it's so good. But I firmly believe that if people know ingredients to the meal, they appreciate it more. Like when you find out that your mushrooms were imported from Italy, <laughs> and he, all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, it tastes so much better. Or you find out it's Mexican chocolate and it makes it that much sweeter. And so I think before we dive into the meal, I want it, I want people to know the ingredients of your life because, okay. and I'm not going to steal your thunder, but I want us to go back to, I mean, as a pastor's kid, pastor's daughter, pastor's wife, and now a pastor, dear God, there is, there is some trauma that we've gone through. Teen mom and have abuse in the background, craziness that's gone on. Those are all beautiful ingredients that I want people to know you. Um, before they know you, the author, or you, the speaker, you, the pastor, like, give us a little bit of history. What's your background? So my parents are Bishop and Mrs. T.D. Jakes, who have um, really, you know, kind of gone all around the world, maybe two or three times over in ministry, and a time that was really unprecedented. I think the whole mega church era was really beginning at the time that my dad's ministry started. So we moved from West Virginia to Dallas in 1996. That very first Sunday, 1,500 people joined our church, 1,500 people. That's revival. That is, for people who don't know, that is, that is unheard of. 1,500 on Sunday, bless it. Go ahead. 
And so I was like six or seven. Now we had like 50 families at our church in Dallas. So for it to grow from that to 1500 was just, I just wasn't, I didn't know what that looked like, especially at such a young age. And so I kind of found myself lost in the sauce. I don't have any mm. church talents. Like I can't sing. <laughs> I don't dance. I don't but you play do rap. People I may not rap, know this. They don't appreciate my rapping. I am church. here for it. You know what, girl, you better believe I flow from stage when I preach because I don't even care anymore. Yes. My mom would wash my mouth out with soap. But I, I, I do think you have some talents that are, that people need to, to know. They can learn more on your podcast, which I'll plug <laughs> later, but carry on with your lack of church talents. I didn't. I didn't have any church talents. And so I just kind of found myself lost in the sauce, trying to fit in, got into a crowd. I won't even say the wrong crowd because a lot of times we say that I got hooked up with the wrong crowd. I got connected with the crowd that was just as lost and confused and looking for their place like I was. And from that place, I got pregnant. I was 13 years old. I had my son at 14. So for the girl who felt like she didn't, fit in this pregnancy just cemented the idea that I don't fit into church I don't fit into faith and I'll never do anything in ministry and I spent probably the next 10 years in a toxic relationship with myself with others certainly a toxic relationship with God because I didn't feel like he could love me or do anything in my life and it wasn't until I was in this moment in my previous marriage where I had just like gone completely off, like completely off, he brought someone to our home. And that was just like the final straw for me. I got in my car. I start ramming this car over and over and over again with this girl. They call the police on me. When they call the police, the police officer understands how I lost it, but told me I needed to go see CPS. Um, the kids weren't in the car, but they were at home. And I was walking out of that CPS office and I just felt like I can do better by myself. Like if I need to be alone, I can do better by myself. And in that incubation of alone, I started unraveling my pain, daring to worship from that place. Mm -hmm. And I kind of evolved and started blogging, invited people along on that journey. And now we're like this whole community of women who are on a mission to become the best version of themselves. Okay. So you mentioned blogging that was in uh, 2011, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, I'm just, I'm putting, I'm an Enneagram seven. So context is everything. I love, I love me some puzzles. So I want people to know like the <laughs> full aspect of things coming together. So you started blogging in 2011, but then it correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I'm not good with numbers. I'm good with letters, not good with numbers, but you had a book in 2015, 16 and 17. I had a book in 2014. Okay. And then I had, yes, I had books in 2014. I had a book come out, two books come out in 2014, then 2015, 2017, and now this book. Insanity. Okay. So for people that don't know, writing a book is like birthing a child. And yeah. I mean, it's in, it takes, you better love it because you're going to be stuck with it for a really long time. <laughs> um, but I've seen, I've, I've seen such not to play on words here, but I think such an evolution of you yeah. as a woman and as a writer, as a communicator, the anointing on your life is so thick, but you took this pause in between, I guess, what I'm hearing is 2017 to 2021, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why? Why was that pause? Um, you know, when you write a book, first of all, so I started the blog and because of the blog, a publisher approached me and asked me what I tell my story. And they offered me a deal that had three books connected to it. And mm -hmm. I didn't even know where I was going to get three books from. But um, what I learned in working with someone else when it comes to your gift or your talent 
is that if you don't have an agenda, you will become submitted to someone else's agenda. Mm-hmm. And writing was just like a first love for me. It's just something like, I love words. I love sitting down to write. And I felt like my love was being hijacked for someone else's agenda. And in 2017, I was like, sure, you know, the deals are nice. The, the, to be able to say you've written these books are nice, but I don't love writing anymore. And I don't want to write a book unless it's something that makes me feel so passionate and so in love that I feel like the book is the only way I could pour all of it out. Mm. Okay. So I just want to say as someone who loves to read and also loves to write, I just think that this is the best thing that you have written to date. It is so beautiful. And it's, it's so, this is the really hard part. You allow us to play in the shallow, but you take us to the deep and make it feel very safe. And so I cannot wait to talk about it. But before we talk about that, I think it's so many people, the number one question that I get from like women who are in leadership or women that have high demands on their life is the work-life balance. So You are a pastor, pastor's wife, you're a writer, you're a speaker, you are a teacher, you are a podcaster. And so when we talk, and you have six kids. So when we talk about work-life balance, where do you find time to sleep? Where do you find time to look so good? Where do you find time to work out? Where do you find time to cook? Like (laughs) fix our lives, okay? (laughs) Fix our lives right now. You know, I don't have time to do all of those things very well at the same time. So I prioritize what is most important to me and everyone's prioritization is going to be different. Mine, of course, starts with like God, myself to a certain extent, and then my family. Right now I'm in a really heavy season with the book. So I'm not able to like do my workout and my shake the way that I do it when I am more regimented. And so right now on that side is suffering a little bit, but I've learned to not beat myself up for not having gone to superwoman cape all the time. I think that's the key to balance is that like, I'm not going to be able to be incredible at everything at the same time. And so I've challenged myself to be as present as possible when it's time to be present in this interview. And then when this is done, I'm going to go home and I love you, but I'm going to wait until this is posted. I'm not going to replay what I should have said. I'm not going to think about what I wish I didn't say. I'm going to move into being present with my kids so that I'm not divided even when I'm present, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So before one more question on like the personal aspect before we dive into the book. So you and your husband, uh, co-pastor a church in Los Angeles, which by the way, I'm, I'm East LA ride or die my whole life. I live in orange (laughs) County now, but you know, you could take the girl out the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out the girl. So I feel when I moved in, like the neighbors are like, oh, there goes the neighborhood. In fact, two weeks into living in our uh, my new house when I married my husband, I was taking out the trash. I was in workout clothes. I had no makeup, whatever. And the trash man thought I was the nanny and tries to speak to me in Spanish. And I was like, um, I live here and I speak English. So I'm still going to hold it down. I'm going to hold it down out here. But the relationship between you and your husband and co-leading, how has that been for you? It, it, from what I'm piecing together and what I've read and gathered, that's not something that you necessarily had ambitions to do. Your heart oh, no. was like, oh, I can't wait to co-pastor a church. Give us a little bit of that background. I actually said I would never date a pastor Mm because when your father is Bishop T.D. Jakes, (laughs) I see a lot of pastors wanting to be connected with Bishop T.D. Jakes. And that just, I just felt like 
someone who is a pastor who marries me wants to actually be with my father. So I'm going to just let them be <laughs> together and leave me out of it. Then I meet Teray, who was like his own man. He like knows who my dad is, but he's not like one of those people who have been like waiting for the moment in which they would be in his presence. And I love the way that he saw the world and how he interpreted God's presence on the earth. And when I came to his church in Los Angeles, which was started before we got together, it was the first place where I felt like I could bring all of myself into a room. And so he, I attribute a lot of what people see in my life to his leadership and pastoring of me. Um, having said that, co-pastoring is not the easiest thing to do, right? But we each have our own lane. And I think that when we like visit one another's lanes, we do a good job. And then when we move into our separate lanes, we do a good job with that too. I love it. I love it. As someone who is co-pastoring a new church, we're just two years old. I want to say oh. there's not many people who are, uh, let me watch my words. I think that you're such a good role model into how to do it well. And I'll just leave it Thank at that. You. Okay. Let's dive into the book, Woman Evolve. I think that, like I mentioned this earlier, I just think I love the layout. I thought the heart behind it was so beautiful. But for those that have not yet read the book, but will read the book, give us a little amouge bouche, give us a little taste test um, <laughs> as to how and why, what was the genesis of the evolution? The genesis of this book was Genesis. I was, <laughs> speaking, at a, I was speaking at a women's conference and, you know, Bianca, I'm a little petty, right? And so I was at this women's conference and they had on these shirts, Sarah, Mary, Ruth, Esther, hashtag squad goals. And I just like, I don't even know why, but I was like, I know why they didn't put Eve on that shirt because this is raggedy. She messed it up for all of us. Like I just started dragging Eve. Now I'm about to speak and I'm dragging Eve. So I go to shift to like kind of get my heart together before I go and take this pulpit. And God was like, we need to talk about you and Eve. Later on in my own prayer time, I like couldn't get over this fact that like, I just had this idea in my mind that Eve was so evil and she messed it up for us all. And I started looking at her story again through scripture and I just heard for the first time she knew better, but didn't do better. Mm. And I know that we know that, but when we really think about the idea of knowing better and not doing better, and we feel like we are somehow distant from that, I think it's actually a lie because all of us in some way know better and don't do better. And so I realized that a lot of times in church, her story ends at that no better, do better moment. We don't show the restoration and the redemption connected to it. And I felt like if I could rescue Eve and study her life and show how she was restored, then I could rescue any woman who's ever known better, but didn't do better. So the best part of writing, um, based off the life of Eve, what would you say? Like, it feels like you learned so much about her. What's, if we could whittle this down to a, a nugget, what do you want women to walk away with about mm. from our, our spiritual mother, Eve? Yeah, that redemption and revolution is a part of the inheritance of every person but specifically woman who has especially ever encountered a forbidden fruit whether she took that forbidden fruit or someone gave her that forbidden fruit victimized her with forbidden fruit that there is still redemption and revolution available to every woman no matter where we are in our life no matter how long ago it was that it's still closer than we think it is so I'm looking for the quote and I can't find it right now, but so I'm going to, I'm going to give you the BIV, the Bianca International okay. version, but you say something along the lines. Uh, I think it's in chapter two where you say, um, when we say you, we, we feel like we have the answers and we, we go through the laundry list of what we know, but then we end the conversation with, 
but I don't know. And we rob ourselves that line. I I know I had it highlighted. I can't find it for some reason, but that line just struck me as profound. Where did that learning come from? I just realized that in speaking with women over and over again, and I asked them for their stories or I asked them, you know, what do you hope for your life? What is your potential after this moment? They would say, you know, well, I, I think that I'm a really good writer or I'd like to do this. I, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but I feel this. And then we go, I don't know. I don't know is like the way that we button up the things that we actually know. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm not feeling my best, but I don't know. Sis, you do know. You just said those things. And I think it's so important that we recognize what we do know. We can't live our lives constantly in this I don't know stage because we don't trust ourselves and we don't trust trust what we know. And there are so many things we actually don't know that we shouldn't add what we do know to that equation. And so um, what we know is always changing as we have new experiences, but to stay in solid in what we know to be true in this moment is the only way we can build, grow, and move forward. Mm-hmm. So much of your ministry, so much of your life, so much of your writing, so much of your preaching is really coming from this place of we have I don't think, I don't think that you would necessarily synthesize it this way, but that we have what we need, um, to do what God has called us to do. And then you have this specific chapter. Um, it'll never add up where you take the story of the young little boy whose uh, lunch fed 5,000 at minimum 5,000. Um, can you take us through points in your life where you have felt like, my God, this, it won't be enough. And then the Lord has done exceedingly abundantly in your life. Okay. I mean, we're standing in one right now. When I was (laughs) writing Woman Evolve with this idea of like, I'm going to write a book about the woman no one likes in the Bible. And I'm going to write it in a style that feels like we're sitting at the kitchen table. It's not going to come off as like fancy and eloquent and professional, but it's going to be the truth of what I feel like God is saying to me. I felt like, I don't know if this is enough, but I'm going to give it my best shot anyway. Um, I tell a story in the book about going on tour and which was crazy too. Cause like, I, who are you that you think you're going to have a tour? Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many people following me on social media and they would say, can you come to my city? Can you come to my city? And I was like, I'm going to, you know, get tour buses. I'm going to invest in venues. I'm going to bring out sound people, equipment. I'm going to do the whole thing. And I'm going to see if we can do a tour. And then people actually bought tickets for tour. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. This is not <laughs> a good idea. Why are y'all coming? And then they're saying stuff like, she going to snatch my edges. My life is going to be changed. And I'm like, who? Not me. Not possible. <laughs> and um, I felt very much so inadequate. And I share in the book how God really unpacked that moment for me. It's a it's a long story, but um, it, that was definitely a moment where I felt like it was I didn't have enough and God showed up. So in chapter five, I think is my favorite chapter, uh, Work the Weight. Yeah. Um, I think that so many people are in this like waiting season especially we're coming out. I I think I mentioned this every episode. Sorry, listeners, if you're talking, if I'm talking again about post-pandemic life, but but we just went through specifically in California as well. So I think that our state shut down more than any other state besides um, Washington. Mm -hmm. And so we were basically shut down intermittently for 14 months. So when we talk about living in a wait, in a traumatic waiting period, um, can you speak to the woman out there who is so exhausted. She's exhausted of the weight. What do you tell her? What do you say? <laughs> I think a lot of times we're exhausted by the weight because that's all we're doing is we're just sitting there 
waiting for the season to change. And yet in chapter five, I wrote work the wait because while we're waiting for God to reveal what's next, we can reveal God in the wait. Mm -hmm. I wanted to write about our role and responsibility in showing up as an extension of heaven wherever we are. And when we do that, when we allow ourselves to do that, we bring the best of who we are to anything that we're doing. And we find satisfaction, not because the circumstances change, not because the situation has changed, but because we have added an extension of God's presence into whatever we do. I used to be a receptionist and I didn't know, like I knew that wasn't my lifelong dream to stay as a receptionist. But while I was there, I brought 100% of myself to being that receptionist. So much so that when it was time for me to move on they were like we don't know what we're going to do without you but I felt like this is what I have this is what's in front of me and I'm going to work it until God reveals what's next so as somebody looking from the outside looking at your life it's beautiful and it seems polished and you're also very real like you're not putting on putting on an air of superiority but I think maybe someone listening or looking at your life saying well what's your weight because you have the husband and the family and the job and the calling and so what is your weight right now and how are you working it out? Girl, okay. So um, I did an Instagram live about this the other day because the book, you know, hit the New York Times bestsellers list and that's amazing. And yet if I am not careful, I will fall into this idea of I need to produce something to keep this momentum going, right? I will forget mm. that I was at a place of peace when I came to this moment. And so now I can't let the success at this moment change my pace. And so I am tempering myself to come back to a place of steadiness and peace and wait for God to reveal, like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, okay, I'm a New York Times bestselling author. And that sounds fancy in front of your bio, but like, I don't have any plans for what I'm supposed to do after this. And I don't even know if I can sustain this. I don't know if the next book will hit the list. I don't know if the next book will be as powerful. So I'm literally waiting to see what God is going to do next in my life. And I trust him and I have faith, but this is like, all right, you know, we just going to keep doing what we're doing until God says, what's next, you know? Listen, I, if, for people that are listening, you, you mentioned this so beautifully and so casually, like I hit the New York times bestseller, but we said this before the interview. I mean, th there's, there's lists, there's the Washington post and top sellers and Los Angeles times, the Phoenix sun, there's all these book lists, but there is this magical unicorn that has yeah. leprechauns dancing on its back. And that's <laughs> that's sure. the New no York times. Nobody knows. But just to add to uh, the ingredients to the meal, like it's, it's not just that your book hit New York times bestseller. It's the fact that you are a woman and you hit the list. You are a woman of color and you hit the list and you're a woman of color who's speaking about religious content. It's not a cookbook. It's not a book on depression. It's a book about a woman named Eve, a biblical character that comes with so much stigma. So I just want to say at the very end, this is not where I was going, but at the very end, uh, chapter 11, you said in the chapter entitled Wild Woman, which I resonated with, <laughs> you said you are somebody else's mirror. Mm -hmm. And I read that line and I, I, I just feel like you can't be what you don't see. And what you have given so many women, so many of what you refer to as the delegates of the, the tribe mm -hmm. of women who are part of Women Evolved, a mirror. And I'm going to say for me as well. So thank you um, to be picked up in Target, to be uh, Amazon top 10 bestseller. 
it's not just because the book is good. It's because your life is good and the anointing mm. is good. And you are teaching us how to evolve in a way with humility and honoring God in the process. So I don't want that to be lost on anyone that it, it's, I'm sure it came with a cost that none of us will ever know, but thank you for being a mirror to so many people out there. I believe that this book is going to be um, a catalyst for women to feel like, mm. wait, I, I, I could do this. I could do this. Um, so with all that you are doing, you had mentioned like you're tempering back and you don't know what's next and the waiting you, I love what you talk about when you sit when you speak about, um, soul care and self-care, yeah. can you take yeah. us through the difference of that? Sure. So like self-care is like something that people have been telling us about for years. And most of the time when people say self-care, they're like, you need to go get your nails done. <laughs> you need to go get your hair done, take care of yourself. And what I have found in my life is like, sometimes when I have time to like, go get my nails done or hair done, I don't want to do it. I want to go to sleep. Like I am so glad to have free time that I don't want to fill it up with something to do. And so I realized that what I really needed was like soul care. Like I needed a moment to connect with my own soul. And so in the book, I wanted to talk about the process of asking yourself, like, how are you doing and giving your soul time to respond? We cannot live in the busyness of our lives each day, read the headlines, scroll social media, ingest all of this emotion and information and did not have an effect on our soul. And sometimes we're so busy being on autopilot that we don't see that we're actually almost depressed, that we're actually still grieving, that we're actually overwhelmed and need to make a change in our lives. And so from the place of soul care, we can determine what boundaries we need in order to really allow ourselves to experience the peace, presence, and power of God in our lives. I love that you've put language around this. I mean, I swear the book could be called Bianca Evolve because I felt like you were really <laughs> just like talking to me. I swear. Um, when you were talking about this, this part specifically, I've, I'm an ardent advocate of soul care. And mm -hmm. for me, I just realized like with so much self-care being spoken about, I think our soul is the thing that gets exhausted. And there, yeah. like you said, there's no manicure. There's no pedicure that's going to take away that soul weariness. A a even now as a leader, which goes into one of the things you wrote about in the book. And it was, it was an offshoot. It really wasn't even about the, the text, but as I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, you were giving me so much life and freedom right now. You said that your leadership, you're a feeler. So your leadership yeah. um, is coming from a place of, of intuition where you can trust your gut. So last night we had soul care here on once a month. That's a meeting that I lead for all, all staff and that's oh. soul care cook for them. We sit down, like, how are you? Uh, but what you made me kind of realize is that that is leadership. And I, my style is so much different than I would say, maybe I don't want to say male leadership, but just kind of like a head leadership. I'm such a feeler. When did you realize you were a feeler and um, any learnings that you could share from one feeler to another, basically <laughs> free therapy. Dr. Nita was on the show. She gave me real therapy. If she was, but you're going to give me some soul therapy. <laughs> okay. Dr. Nita, first of all, is the best. I love her so much. Obsessed. Um, you know, as a feeler in leadership, I have learned to not compare how I lead with how other people lead. Um, God is really directing me on how to build Woman Evolve and who is connected to Woman Evolve. And if I am trying to be like what I have seen, because there's a, a version of female leadership that is very powerful. It's very uh, bold. It's very outspoken. It seems very sure and very certain. And yet I like to have a culture of collaboration at our organization. And so I always want to know, like, how do you, how does the person on the team feel? What can we do to 
to honor their ideas because I do want to have a culture where everyone is inputting their experiences. At the end of the day, if you are the only person who is leading, directing, and saying what needs to be done, then you're not serving a community that doesn't look like you. I can lead on what it means to be a mom of six and balancing all of these companies and businesses and, and ministries, but at the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily mean I know what it's like to be a single woman or what it's like to be a woman married with no children. And so I need everyone's feelers on these ideas and projects so that they can become the best that they can be. And so I've come to find peace and comfort in that, even though it doesn't look like what's often celebrated. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for your leadership. I'm so grateful for you paving a new way for people who may not fit like the traditional mold of leadership. I personally love it. Hey, as we kind of wrap up the interview, I want you to speak to your heart to someone's very sad ears right now. Someone who feels like maybe their evolve seems really far away, or maybe they feel like their past has precluded them, much like Eve, from having a life of significance that's not marked by a great tragedy or a great mistake. Can you speak to that woman right now? And uh, what would you tell her if you were sitting across from her? Man, I would tell that woman, I see you. I really see you. Now, the question is, can you allow yourself to be seen? Because if you can allow yourself to be seen, if you can allow yourself to take in the fullness of your life, the fullness of what you've gone through and what you've had to carry, what you will see is not someone who has been damaged beyond repair or broken beyond that which can be restored. You will see a girl who was on a journey, who had some scars along the way, but for every scar, the grace of God is there waiting to kiss it and show you how it can be exchanged for something so good, so amazing, so beyond what you can imagine. When I was 13 years old and rubbing my stomach, thinking to myself, there's no way I'm coming out of this. When I felt dirty and nasty and just unusable, God knew that we would be having this conversation even then at 13 years old. And so I've been there. I get it. I know where you are. I know how you feel. But one thing I know for sure is that the revolution is always closer than it appears. But you have to be willing to be seen by the grace of God, the presence of God, and embrace what you see with hope that what you see can be exchanged for something you could have never imagined. You are a pastor through and through. Pastor Sarah Jakes Roberts, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the gift upon your life and how you share that gift with so many others. For those listening to the podcast, where is a way that they could find out about you and ways to also get your book? For those that follow me on social media, on Instagram stories, there'll be a swipe up link to Amazon to keep her Amazon numbers still high and tight. There'll be a swipe up link so that you can get more information on getting your book. But how can people follow you, stock you and fall in love with you? Stalk me. Yes, I love it. Stalk me at Sarah Jakes Roberts on all on Instagram and Facebook at S Jakes Roberts on Twitter. And then the book is available wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, local indies. Just go to womanevolvedbook.com and we'll make sure that you get plugged in. I'm so excited that Rona is gonna and gonna go on tour again. And I cannot wait to uh to go and check out what God's doing live. I'm just for you, praying for you, covering you and your ministry. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. This was great. 
Ooh, Miss SJR did not come to play, friends. She brought us her very best. As a reminder, I am not someone who endorses books that I personally have not read. I don't want to subject you to things that might waste your time. So if I bring on an author or talk about a book, it's only because I really believe in it. So you can swipe up on Instagram. You could check out my links on Facebook, Twitter, or on the show notes to get more information on how you can get your hands on this book. As always, I want to continue my legacy of being the Oprah of podcasts and give junk away. Yes, five lucky winners will receive a copy of Sarah Jakes Roberts' book, Woman Evolve. If you tag at Sarah Jakes Roberts and at Bianca Oltoff, five lucky winners will receive this book. So don't miss out on your opportunity. And if you don't feel like you have a rabbit's foot in your hand and you want to buy the book, I encourage you to head to Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or anywhere where fine books are sold. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but y'all, we have another bonus episode with one of my favorite people on the face of the earth next week. I love you. I'm grateful for you. As always, thank you for your positive reviews and ratings. It means so much to us. So if you don't mind, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Love you. See you next week.